Are you tired of using subpar fertilizer that don't give your crops the boost they need? Look no further than Irish Shite, the all-natural and sustainable solution for your farm. Made from the finest blend of Irish animal waste, Irish Shite provides essential nutrients for your crops to thrive. And it's not just good for your crops, it's also good for your skin. With Irish Shite, you'll look 10 years younger. So why settle for less? Choose Irish Shite. It's made right here in Ireland. And be sure to tell your friends and fellow farmers about the power of Irish manure. This message has been brought to you by the Irish Shite Association, the natural choice for a sustainable farm. What was the guy from Fox, Bill something? The guy that, Bill. that was... Fox? No, no, Bill, Bill something. The Irish guy, the Irish-American guy. What are you talking about, Fox? What's Fox? Fox, the the American uh, Fox News, the American oh. fucking thing. Oh, Bill the propaganda Bill thing. Shithead. Um, oh, Bill shithead. So when Bill <laughs> shithead was going like, "Fuck it, fuck it, we'll do it live, we'll do it live." Is it Carlson? Is not Carlson Tucker or something like that? Is it? No, no, Tucker Carlson. That's the guy that looks like he's always like <laughs> shat his pants and. <laughs> And he's he doesn't know what he's gonna do next. He doesn't know how he's gonna sort of get out of this situation. I have a strange sensation in my underwear right now. But I'm not sure how I feel about this. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello, and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where each week we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host, Will, a writer of three films plus a Christmas special, and I am joined once again by my co-host and writer of One and a Bit Films. Hello, Will. How are you? Of Kevin. How are you? I'm very good. You just spoke over me. You rude. You rude. I don't you want to cut the scene again. I don't want you to keep telling people I made on one film. <laughs> Sorry. It's getting embarrassing. God, God damn it, I'm Kevin. Great, write Will. more How movies. Are you? Kevin, write more movies and get them produced. And have them in theatres, like, in the next two weeks, please, if you don't mind. Um, I prefer writing deleted scenes, to be honest. (laughs) Completely (laughs) deleted scenes. Um, Kevin, this week, I have been tasked with the challenge of coming up with my best deleted scenes. And let me tell you, I discovered something amazing. Do you want to know what it is? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, yes. That's the whole point of the podcast. <laughs> this is the bit of knowledge that's going to blow your mind. And the, what I learned is that every film has a deleted scene. Every <laughs> fucking film has a deleted scene, right? We're writers. <laughs> writers could tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and every film we've written has deleted scenes. You know, of course. So every film has deleted scenes. So the task of going and figuring out what in the hell you know uh, my best deleted scenes would be is um it's it's like shuffling through the debris the discarded (laughs) snippets of people's efforts and you know what's uh 
different about this episode compared to all the other episodes is that for the first time, I know what your pick is. <laughs> because you told everybody in the group chat, of which Shoot. I'm a member, <laughs> and you asked people for confirmation. <laughs> so I'm going to have to pretend that this is all brand new information. <laughs> it's called acting, Kevin Lad. No wonder you didn't yes. become an actor. If you could, if you could just oh, keep your trap God. shut. <laughs> oh yeah, I tell you, you what, you I did well some do. acting once. I did, did a, an acting course. Yeah, for six weeks, I did an acting uh, academy thing, and right. um, I loved it. I loved it for for one reason, right? You know, when mm-hmm. you go to the gym and you come out of the gym and you feel like um, you feel you feel sort of relaxed. You feel like you, you've gotten all this adrenaline out of your system. When you did mm-hmm. like this, when I did this acting course, purely out of complete boredom, and I felt like maybe I should learn how to deliver a line uh, that somebody else has written and see what that feels like if I'm going to be writing lines for other people. But mm-hmm. I felt like that every week it was um, total and utter like humiliation and embarrassment. But then I walked <laughs> out of the the studio every uh, afternoon on Saturday, and I just felt like light. I felt like that was humiliating and really embarrassing, and it did not matter. It was absolutely fine. So I, I found oh, it really sort of um, uh, healthy, like mentally, yeah. like uh, it gave me such clarity. Sorry, Will, we can cut this. It, it can be another mm. deleted scene. Kevin, deleted well, scenes, Jesus. Kevin. <laughs> deleted scenes. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, can I so tell del- you what my pick is to kick this off? Shit, Will yeah, help? do it. Yeah, go on. When we have the wheel, right, and we spin it, there are certain topics mm-hmm. that both of us really want, and I really wanted this one uh, because, and it's probably good that I didn't get it because I just talked about uh, on special effects the first film that my pick mm-hmm. is coming from. So I felt like, oh, that worked out all right because I would have just been hammering home this uh, this franchise again. But my pick is not so much a deleted scene, but it's a restored scene in an alternate cut and it precedes Zack Snyder's Justice League and it's from Richard Donner's Superman 2 his cut oh yeah Superman 2 the adventure continues and it's the scene that uh, was originally when they were shooting Superman and Superman 2, they did them back to back and they got about 70% of the way through Superman 2 and they pulled the plug and decided to focus on getting the first movie done so they could have it out of Christmas. The Salkheim okay. producers did that. And mm-hmm. so everybody broke and they left uh, uh, the Superman 2 with 30% to go and they were going to come back and they were going to figure out a new ending and what have you. Um, and the scene that I would have chosen for best deleted scene is from an audition footage that they put back into the alternate uh, Donner cut uh, that they were intending to shoot, but they never got around to shooting it. But they still have that audition footage. And it's the scene where Lois Lane basically figures out that Clark Kent is Superman by Mm. shooting him with a gun that has a blank in it. Thousands of children potentially falling off something lethal all around the world would Superman be in Niagara Falls today. Why wouldn't he be in the Grand Canyon? Why don't you ask the child's family? I'm sure they would know. And why is it always when I'm with you until Superman appears? 
And then you seem to disappear well, very I, conveniently, I, I, it seems to I, I, me. Those the hot dogs. Repeat, take your Uh huh. And when Superman appeared, I looked over at that hot dog stand and you were gone. You weren't I, there. I was. Nowhere. I can't help it if I had to go to the. You are Superman, aren't you? <laughs> Lois, look, we've been through these hallucinations of yours before. Can't you see what you almost did? <laughs> Throwing yourself off a building 30 stories high. Can't you see what a tragic mistake you almost made? I made a mistake. I made a mistake because I risked my life instead of yours. Lois, don't, don't be insane. And don't fall down because you're just going to have to get up again. Lois, now don't, don't be crazy now. What? And it's not just like a cracking fucking scene, but it's one of those scenes that is so good that it just hurts me that they never actually did it properly. And that they went with the version that's in Superman 2, which has Clark Kent tripping over a pink bearskin rug and putting his hand into the fire and it not burning him. And that's the version that they use, taking away sort of the the cleverness and the wit uh, and the banter of Lois and Clark, where... um, She's tricking him into revealing that he's, he's Clark Kent by shooting him. You realize, of course, if you'd been wrong, Clark Kent would have been killed. Well, they're blank. Gotcha. I saw, oh, yeah. that is so good. That is such great writing. And uh, the Salkines, motherfuckers, they... Uh, they insisted that with Richard Lester taking over from, from Richard Donner, that he shoot his own version in order to get um, at least 50% of, the, of his take on the film oh in there Lord. so that he could get credit. And that's oh why Lord. we have the inferior Superman 2. But that oh, would be my wow. pick. That is actually a fantastic pick because that scene, everything about that scene is, is great. The t- the, that build-up. To, you know, it's just a, a scene in isol. It's a scene in isolation that works from the very beginning to to reveal it. It's like a little short film, and yeah, because um, it goes Christopher it flies Reeve, in the face of the whole thing of like, why doesn't she know that Clark Kent is Superman? And so they open the sequel with yeah. her immediately guessing that he is Superman by He's drawing, Superman. yeah, drawing uh, Clark Kent's hat and glasses on a picture of Superman filling in a suit. Mm-hmm. And she's so convinced that she's figured out that Clark is Superman. This is the very first scene of the sequel that she throws herself yeah. out of the window. And yes. so when it comes around to the to this version, she's like, I made one mistake. I risked my life instead of risking yours. And yeah. uh, that's the payoff to it. And it's just such great writing from um, uh, Tom Mankiewicz that uh, mm. it's such a shame that it got cut. But thank God for the Donner cut because that was like Christmas for me, seeing those other versions of the scenes that are so much better than what we got. That entire, that entire alternate cut is such an interesting, um, they're, they're, if you don't, if you haven't seen them, seek them out. They're a real, a real treat and a real surprise when you actually see what Donner had in mind. And, uh, it doesn't and particularly work though as like a, like a, a film because oh, they no. have to repurpose the footage, but I guess, you know, when we're going to be talking about deleted scenes, we're going to be talking about director's cuts, and I think that is one of those strange middling uh, director's cuts in that it's it's more like an oddity than an actual film. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, it's definitely that's worth a, watching. Definitely. And that's a kind of a, a good a good segue, because 
I briefly wanted to touch on director's cuts. And the reason being is because, you know, every film has got deleted scenes. And what has happened in recent decades is that you've we've seen scenes be directors get uh, a second take at these where they get to reinstate some of those uh, scenes that were deleted and kind of like to fill out the, 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 the film. So, uh, you know, these scenes mightn't, on the, in isolation, mightn't, for me, be... I could classify them as like best of best deleted scene because all they really yeah. might do is just give an extra beat of a character, uh, you know, uh, just basically change the pacing of of a film where it's a kind of mm-hmm. an almost an invisible addition, an invisible kind of like enhancement to the original cut. And there have been several of those. And the most recent film, and I know we've already brought it up in the podcast, is definitely um, Kingdom of Heaven. Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Safeguard the helpless, even if it leads to your death. That is your oath. Rise a knight! Rise a knight! The, uh, the director's cut of yes. Kingdom of Heaven improves that uh, film uh, upon the theatrical cut where it's just it's the pacing of it feels right the character's motivations feels right you feel there's a gr- there's a f- it's a film that has a, a particularly devastating tragedy at its heart um, which I think gets just rushed through in the theatrical cut and yeah. um, it's all little snips it's all little additions yeah it's not so much deleted scenes it's like uh, there are the context within scenes gets chopped down for the theatrical cut yeah but yeah, Ridley mm-hmm. Scott has, uh, he must have more director's cuts than any other director out there. Yeah. Um, sure, look at Blade Runner alone. Sure. Yeah, was it? Seven or something like that? You can pick your pick your poison for that one. Which one's the original cut or the last one? I don't know. Yeah, but isn't the unicorn it changes everything about that film? And that's Big an time. addition, isn't it? So. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, Ridley, for me, I... I recommend, I think that everyone should, if you've got the opportunity to watch a Ridley Scott film and there is a director's cut, always go for the director's cut because the film is just, it, it, it works so much better, except in one instance, and it's the director's cut of Alien, uh, which oh, I think, yes. I think it, it slows the film down and it's baggier and uh, I don't think it improves the film. So, um, but all his other director cuts, I think, are, are well worth choosing over the theatrical cuts. Yeah, and I'd agree with you that I think you're right in that one. It's just there's a there's a there's a very fine line. You know, it's all about pacing, isn't it? It's all about the pacing of the story. Uh, yeah. Another film that just popped into my head that kind of had an unofficial, well, it was a director's cut, but they never, never called it a director's cut. They called it a special edition, was E.T. And E.T. has... Um, no. <laughs> but what I'm talking <laughs> about is... that version. <laughs> oh, exactly. Because that's a version where they uh, inserted a scene, an extra scene of E.T. and Elliot kind of like getting to know each other where E.T.'s in the, in the bathtub and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. And what it does is all of a sudden... CG just, E.T. Yeah, uh, yeah, there was like we yeah, one or two shots of, C, uh, of CG E.T., but it basically, it completely just slows down 
the pace of the second half of that film really just grinds it to a halt because we're kind of see a repetition of some of the stuff of Elliot playing you know uh, just mitching off school and and you know basically all the information we got in the scene had already been established earlier on and it wasn't the forward momentum just stops doesn't it exactly so it's a very delicate balance isn't it mm. I think that Spielberg has gone back on that where he doesn't uh, maybe we've talked about this in, on the podcast already but I feel like he has said that the special edition of E.T. was a mistake so in that instance mm. that director's cut which I suppose yeah he didn't really call it a director's cut but in that instance he um, doesn't stand by that as being the definitive E.T. he thinks that you should still yeah. go back and watch the original um, so he he would prefer those deleted scenes to remain deleted scenes yeah I think yeah the version they had in the theatrical was just the right version and versus like you know you know just going just recalling the most recent example like you know um, like Kingdom of Heaven you never for me Kingdom of Heaven I never felt it getting baggy I never felt I never felt the story was being slowed down as a consequence of these additional scenes or whatever Um, a another uh, director Scott that I just want to bring up that I highly recommend is you know one for me that I love uh, is Daz Boot You know the the uh, it's Wolfgang Peterson's. Well, uh, I've only II. seen the director's cut, so I don't know what is what what they cut to to do the original release. So, because I, I saw that on DVD, there's a couple of interesting uh, cuts. They there was a let me think. No, there was an original cut which is about two hours long it still had all of the same beats but it was just it was just a bit snappier and shorter really um but then for the british on bbc they re-released it as a miniseries and actually made it yes. like six hours four hour or, no it was four hours it was oh. a four hour thing a miniseries and really padded out and broke it up into episode into an episodic story and it still worked but then they uh for the director's cut they kind of found the middle house where they came up with a version that was about two and a half hours long i might be writing that and but in what they've just added to it is uh, a lot more characterization a lot more time spent with the members of the crew and but the thing about it is is what's what's essential is that the sense of tension is never dissipated in that film. There's always this yeah. sense of tension down in the U-boat. And in whichever version you watch, you will get the same experience. But I think, I think they, from what I've read, um, this miniseries is, is, is excellent. You know, if you can ever find that, it's excellent. But I would highly recommend the director's cut. Uh, it's just a cracking film. See, because you, you can almost undercut yourself by putting in uh, deleted scenes. Like the, the one that is coming to my head as we're talking though is the opening to Escape from New York New York 1997 the entire city is a walled maximum security prison where oh, that's a, a very linear film where you, you're meeting Snake, Snake Plissken and you're just learning him through his behaviour rather than his backstory which I personally as a, as a writer I always prefer that to sort of like tell you who the people are by how they're moving through the world 
in the present as we're watching them rather than flashbacks mm-hmm. or beginning too early in the story. Uh, but the deleted yeah. scene from Escape from New York w- was the bank robbery where you get to see Snake um, rob a bank, go back for his partner and then get captured. And that's how he gets uh, brought into the story. And I, I feel that that diminishes him a little bit. It's cool to see, to sort of see him like uh, engaged in something that we've not seen before or I'd not seen before. But then mm-hmm. when you realise what it does for the character, it just sort of makes him smaller and less iconic and more sort of like, oh, he was just a shit bank robber rather than him being this ultimate badass whose reputation precedes him. And uh, yeah, so they were right to cut that deleted scene, I think. Although it's worth watching because it's so fun and uh, it's always fun to see peak era Carpenter and uh, Kurt Russell working together. Hey, what's wrong, Snake? Here. Oh, come on, man. What are you worried about? We made it, baby! And, and it's a, they're kind of... Gr- that's the great thing about deleted scenes is that if you have the DVD or whatever, uh, you can seek them out and you get, like, additional insights into the character. They're like little vignettes of, like, oh, I'm so glad I have this, but I'm so glad it's kind of separate to the film so it doesn't to spoil the pacing of the the rhythm of the film but you're kind of glad yeah. you experienced it um mm-hmm. oh where i want to take you is right i was looking back in time i wanted to see if i could find old deleted scenes and they're quite hard to come by from older classic films but the oldest one that i found you know there's ones um from metropolis and stuff like that but i found uh, a really cool one that i actually thought uh, was actually a really interesting one and there's a deleted scene for from the wizard of oz and it's a uh, an huh. eight minute mu- musical number calls the jitterbug and the the actual <laughs> music and all survives but the only footage that's remaining of it is like uh kind of like behind the scenes like eight millimeter footage that they've kind of like tried to match up with the the actual um vocal recording like you know and you can see it's dorothy and the the the, the, the lion and the tin man and they end up kind of getting uh, trapped by these not trapped kind of like lured in by these strange talking trees and all that sort of jazz and they do they're doing a jitterbug number and jitterbug dancing it's actually it was a real delight because the number is actually kind of catchy and i they probably cut it just because pacing i'd imagine it's just like oh yeah we need to kind of move along with things now but it was so intriguing to find it like you know i was like going jesus this whole yeah. eight minute chunk of twitter of oz that was just has never been seen and seeing the old grainy footage of it is actually quite quite cool so it's actually uh, worth looking on YouTube as well if you haven't seen it there's a party in the treetops it's that rascal the should you catch also Orson Welles has got like a whole career of like deleted yeah. scenes doesn't he with like <laughs> yeah, the Magnificent Ambersons and yeah, yeah. deleted career oh <gasps> terrible oh. how do you survive that that, that would crush you yeah, you have to drink, drink and eat a lot. I see that's what you end up doing. <laughs> you just end up taking Proper to the sauce. Order. Yeah, just going. Effort. I am just going on the lash, and if someone will give me a job, great. I'll advertise uh, what champagne. Okay, I'll, I'll be Optimus Prime. Fuck it. Action, <laughs> <laughs> awesome, please. Just do anything. 
No, it's a, sorry, Kat. Yeah, rolling. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. Um, another, so I'm going to go through, I've got basically got this list of 10, right? And I've gone through a couple already. But I found uh, a cool little deleted scene from uh, The Goonies. You guys, just what if this map could lead to one-eyed Willie's rich stuff? I'm setting booty traps. You mean booby traps. That's what I said, booby traps. And it's not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> not it's the octopus? not the octopus. No, not the oh. octopus. Right, uh, because you know, at the end of Goonies, I always remember hearing Is chunks the when they scene? get rescued. No sex scene. What sex scene? <laughs> I don't remember a sex scene. Hello, <laughs> what's going on? Um, uh, it's, it was um, where all the Goonies basically um, they uh, lose their virginity in the cave together. <laughs> right, no, you're thinking sorry. Of that's it. the ending of the it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you're thinking of. No, it's a scene uh, because there is an octopus scene, and that, that's what makes it. Because I always thought when I heard when I watched that when I was a kid, when Chunk at the end is like describing to the parents, and there was a pirate ship, and there was bad guys, and there was a giant octopus, and I went, "Oh, it's just Chunk making up stories again." Yeah. But yeah. in actual fact, there was an octopus scene, and I've watched that, and it's I I can I Shite. understand why it was cut. <laughs> it's awful. It's terrible. The octopus just didn't work. It looks awful, and Data defeats it by putting a tape recorder with music playing in his mouth. And it was just really bad. But the scene I actually uh, really liked that was cut, and again, I can probably understand why it was cut, was just before, after the kids find this map that uh, that's, to, leads them to One-Eyed Willie's treasure. They, you know, in is the back they in the house? get on their bikes and they're gone. Just after the house, right? So what okay. happens is they go, before they go to the, to the, to the restaurant, Cabin. they actually, yeah. they, they, they stop at a shop. And it's there that we see, because um, I, I watched it recently with the kids. Oh, I remember this. I always, do you yeah. know the scene I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And I, it's actually where we see Mikey, uh, he's got the map and he finds a local tourist map. Cannon Beach. Wait a second. This looks almost identical. X. Where's the X? X is here. Hang on. Wait a minute. Oh my god, I know these rocks. I know where this is. Guys, check it out. I know how to get here. This is Astoria. This is where the red stuff's buried. Come on, guys. We can go there. We can get the red stuff. And in my head as an adult watching it now, I kind of did feel the logic disjoint of, hang on a second, Mikey just got the map and he just automatically knew where to go. And that is one element that I thought was kind of fun. But also there's a funny bit where Chunk is in the the freezer and he's literally opening the lids of ice cream and he's just taking bites out of ice creams and closing the lids back in again. (laughs) It's disgusting. But uh, we have the bully guy come in and the bully kind of like, you know, um, you know, starts bullying. Surprise, surprise. Um, But I can see why it was cut because it was might have slowed down them getting out onto the road. Um, but the thing they I sacrificed... I also remember it being, um, they were manic. They were all like talking at once as they do throughout nearly the whole film. But I remember thinking, oh, this probably felt like it was just one sort of like chaotic scene too many with all the kids. 
Yeah, that's it. That's probably it, you know. But I, I in my head, it's in my head, it, it resolves a kind of an issue I have of them finding the treasure, you know, putting the dots together too easily about the map and the, the, the quest that they're going on. And it was it was simply when when Mikey found um, the, the little local map and I went, oh, that makes that that gives me a little bit of ease in my head. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, there's a bit of logic going on here. The screen um, where the brain it's is, a fun is scene. sated by that. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But but it's I still think it's a fun scene. I still think there's a lot of good characterization and there's um but maybe it's rep- repetitive. Andy You Goody Another one that I liked was the one from Kill Bill Volume Two. One kick to Tokyo, please. One more. That woman deserves her revenge. No kidding, I heard it was kind of hard. There was an amazing deleted scene from the script that got cut where, um, oh, it was so cool to read where it took place in the States and it was the bride um, having an encounter with, I think it was uh, Yuki, is it Yuki or Yukio? Oh God, I can't remember her name though. But I think it was, uh, she had a twin sister. Uh, and okay. the twin sister, after she had killed the 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 sort of um, Orenishi's henchwoman, uh, her twin sister came for the bride when she was in the states, and it took place in the suburbs, and it was this huge like gunfight. So all the different fights were sort of like particular, and they were using different weapons. And this was basically mm-hmm. like heat. It was just a complete shootout where the bride was basically leaping walls and and going through swimming pools and through people's houses. Uh, engage in this uh, shootout with the sister and it ended up with her, the bride having killed her, hiding out in a treehouse and a, a night nurse character coming and basically patching her up. Um, and it was a cool sort of like interstitial action sequence that uh, it got lost when they com- when they split the films in two. Uh, but yeah, that's a deleted that scene that, I, that, comes to mind, uh, that comes to mind to me when I think of Kill Bill. That sounds great. It really does. The scene that I'm thinking of is a scene that kind of resolves a bit of the issue at the in the finale of Kill Bill Volume Two, in which we don't really see Bill in all his power and glory. And uh, this scene was a scene that was taken out, which happened earlier. And it's uh, between when Bill takes on uh, Michael J. White, I think his name is, and his thugs. So it's. Um, it's B and uh, sorry, it's uh, Bill and B, uh, Umar Thurman's B, walking through this kind of quiet uh, village, and all of a sudden this gang of thugs uh, accost them, and Kill Bill just wipes them out really quickly, and there's a really quick <laughs> he's, he, he he's dispatches. He's Kill Bill and he dispatches Michael J. White in a really cool way uh, where he you know you kind of have to look it up and it's kind of cool and but what what was great about that scene is that we get to see we get to see Bill u- using his full kind of like abilities and uh, we see how dangerous he is and how much of a nemesis he actually will be for B when she actually faces up against him so it kind of it it it, it would have added to his the weight of her taking him on one one on one um mm-hmm. but it unfortunately didn't make the cut but it's a cool scene another cool scene you should check out if you if you're interested in that film the whole bloody affair our part's over. 
and I'm going to go... See, this is just complete random, right? This is just me making my list and just randomly throwing stuff out. But the one that another one that I really liked because it's so unusual and I totally, totally understand why I didn't know make what the you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Okay. It's going Go to on. be ja- uh, Jabba the Hutt's uh, scene in Star Wars, isn't it? How did you know? In the re- <laughs> how did you How did you know that, that the, I, they, they, I was that scene with that guy in that bearskin, whatever he was wearing? And uh, oh dear, oh that scene. Um, and it's many and the many times they try to repair that scene with you know from really bad CGI Jabba the Hutt to uh, and to Han Solo walking awkwardly walking over his stepping tail. on his oh, tail. <laughs> Look, Jabba, even I get boarded sometimes. I think I had a choice. Oh, from two thousands, almost famous, right? From Cameron Crowe, writer-director of Jerry Maguire. If you're going to be a true journalist, you cannot make friends with the rock star. Just make us look cool. God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. Don't take drugs! They're going to fly you places for free. It's Bowie! You're going to meet girls. Uh, The film uh, by Cameron Crowe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good film. It's a very good film. I really liked it. It's a semi-autobiographical film. It's worth watching. It's such a it's such a cracker. So it's a semi autographical um, film about about Crow and his own life, where he was as a youngster he was hired by Rolling Stone to go and you know go on tour with these bands back in the seventies, and um, and it's about this like kid who's got this unabashed love of music and he wants to be this rock journalist and so he basically in this film he gets to he gets the opportunity to tour with a, a fictional up-and-coming band, you know, starring uh, Billy Kudrup and uh, just Kate Hudson's in it and Francis McDormand. And the scene I'm talking about is with Francis McDormand and the lead, oh, what's his name? Patrick Fugit, I think his name is. But oh, yeah, the yeah. scene is, Francis McDormand just plays um, uh, uh, William, I think it was Billy, or William, his name was, his mother. And she's a very protective parent and very active parent and uh, kind of shepherds everything he does. So when he proposes to her that he wants to go on tour, she is sternly opposed to it. And he he, he sits down and he wants to make a case, a, a very unusual case for why he should go uh, on uh, on this tour. And what he does is he goes over to the family record player. Now, at that same moment, she has two of her friends in the living room. They're in the family living room. She has two of her kind of like conservative friends in the room with her. Um, also in the room is Billy's sister's boyfriend and Billy says mom I really want to do this and and I want to play something for you and this is going to be this will change your mind and what he does is he goes over to the record player and he puts on um, the song Stairway to Heaven and the whole scene is them as a group sitting there listening to Stairway to Heaven and it is (laughs) fantastic it's eight minutes long and it is there's no there's no dialogue between them, and they weren't allowed to um to get the rights. They, that's the reason the scene's not in it. But also, it's ah. eight minutes of them just listening to Stairway to Heaven. But what happens is is that it's this awkward moment. You can imagine in a room with your mam, and you decide to put on your like contemporary pop band, and you expect in that environment that your piece of music and is going to win them over. And you know how awkward that would actually be, and it is that awkward. And Frances McDormand is brilliant, as she, and there's no dialogue. 
how she's kind of like defensively just like picking up a magazine and just kind of looking at the magazine and and <laughs> even looking at the lyrics. But Sandwich, she's sitting on a couch and Sandwich between her, on, she's on the couch and on the far end of the couch is one of her friends, a conservative friend. But Sandwich between them is her her daughter's boyfriend and he's all for it. And as the song is playing out, he starts playing all of the roles in the band. <laughs> he's drumming away and as it goes, as, as the song picks up, he gets more vigorous and more vigorous and it is very funny it's very good it's very good and you know it's just it's just a class little scene and it's just a, such a poor poor William's face as he goes along as a, as the song goes along he's kind of just nodding to his mother going you see mom you see and she's just going nope <laughs> just going I do not see it is wonderful a wonderful moment of just adolescence versus you know a parent and um Oh, I love it. Which will I love it so much. definitely get a copyright strike if we include it in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that. Oh, yeah. That was when I watched it because there's no. It's all stairway to heaven. Not a chance can I play any clip from it. Nothing. Um, oh, it's a good one, Kevin. Oh, it really is. Yeah, I I'm have to watch, watch that, that film again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. And that's another one that has a director's cut. Um, there was a. Uh, it came out as Untitled, and then there was another version came out a couple of years ago called the Bootleg Cut. Um, and that might include the Stairway to Heaven song. Um, I'm not really sure, but I think. Do you remember might. in the early 2000s they kept putting out the unrated cuts of DVDs, and it was always oh God, shite. Yeah. It was like stuff where you always. think, "Yeah, th- this shouldn't have been in the film. This just didn't work." There's one in Step Brothers that is uh, the heart attack scene with um, uh, where Will goes to uh, his brother's uh, job site uh, to interview. Mm. Um, with, uh, what's his name? Fucking Rob something. Rob Riggle? Rob Riggle, I think it is, yeah. With him. And he has a heart attack uh, while he's, um, (laughs) (laughs) while he's sort of like giving him a bollocking. (laughs) Well, I definitely don't want that. If you're going to make it through this, man, you got to have big balls. I'm talking about hairy, thick, veiny, robust balls, a big satchel, right? Chicken skin on the outside of your scrotums and a big, thick root hanging on top of it with a big purple Boba's head on the end of it attached to it and it's one big package glistening and swag with a big thatch of pubic hair on top of it. It's so beautiful. Rip. Oh. Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? It's a Catalina wine mixer. You nail it or you're gone. Ah! Do you want me to call someone? God. Yo, yo, yo. Oh. Hey, Derek. Tom, what's up? How's it going, man? Yeah. He I gets so sort of like <laughs> into it that he literally like passes out and has a heart attack. But um, when you're watching, you're thinking, "Oh God, that is really early 2000s humor because it is deeply, deeply problematic." Where <laughs> the names they're calling each other and yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's like um, when you look at uh, uh, what was the film with with Paul Rudd where they had um, was it was it a uh, Forty Year Virgin? But I had that running joke of like, you know, I know you're gay, uh, and they, oh, yeah. him and There's Seth Rogen would keep. <laughs> this takes that to yeah. an ultimate extreme, where it's like that would not fly right now. That would actually, that would get everybody cancelled. Surprise! He's having a heart attack. You're having a heart attack. What are you, doctor? What? Do, do we need to call someone? No, no, no. no. Call your mother, maybe. He's fine. I'm fine. I'm on top of my game. It's called commitment. Yeah. It's called aggressive salesmanship. Being a salesman. Two words you should know, motherfucker. Yeah. <sighs> I think we should call an ambulance. No, no, no. Listen, you can't fuck this up, Brennan. Okay. All right? It's a Catalina wine mixer. What, he, what he's, unco- he's, he's unconscious. 
Now I have to sell or lease 85 choppers. <gasps> you good? Hey, Dash! Yeah. What are you doing here, man? Oh, I just walked in. But yeah, oh, those unrated cuts, man, they were um they were taking the piss with the deleted scenes. <laughs> they were just double dipping. It was just any reason to, you know, get people to potentially buy another copy of of the same film. That was yeah. that was just all at the height of the DVDs. Boom. It's just another reason to sell. Slap a different the different font cut. We've got a different <laughs> font on it's the title. It's unrated, cards. but it's yeah, also it's, ungraded it's, and it's unmixed yeah. and it's, <laughs> it's awful. It hasn't been edited. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Um There's two there's two that we we I feel like because this is particularly like deleted scenes category, uh that yeah. we we have to mention them, even though we've we've brought them up on other podcasts uh, at least yeah. once already but it is that scene from pop stars never stop never stopping uh the fuck you yes. um thing that's one that we just gotta slot it in here it's gotta go in here because <laughs> it's so it's the good fuck off song it's the fuck off song kevin hey yo this one's dedicated to all the little kids out there whose parents are always riding on. telling you to do your homework never letting you eat dessert and making you go to bed before you're ready but listen the next time they're acting bogus, I want you to try this out. Stand up on your tippy toes, look them dead in the eye, and say, Mom, Dad, you can both fuck off. Oh, it's so good. It is so funny. And like you said back then, I just can't believe it didn't make the film because it is just so bloody funny. And yeah. probably costs a lot of money to stage as well. Like, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah. If you haven't seen Popstairs... What's it? Pop stars never stop. What? What's the full title? <laughs> never, never stop. stop never stopping. Stoppin'. Never stop. Never, never stop. Stoppin'. Never stopping. I was like, never stop. Never stop popping. Um, <laughs> it is great. It is just so funny. It really is. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, the next scene I'm going to bring up is from one of my all-time favorite films from the '90s, and it is uh, Jonathan Demi's Basic Instinct. It's basic instinct when the detectives uncross their legs and they're wearing crotchless pants. It was when Sharon Stone um, kept uncrossing her legs. It was like over and back, over and back, over and back. And like, no, no, you can, Paul, this is now going too far. This is what people want. This is what they want to watch. Well, I you're in a you're in the thriller zone, and I'm going to thriller as well. It's actually Johnny from 1990s. Depp. This no, the silence of the lands, okay, and I huh. love the silence of the lands. You spook easily, Starling. Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. And I found this class uh, deleted scene from that film, which really, I, I, I was questioning why they cut it. And it must have been a real debating scene. The scene is, we all know what the Silence of the Lambs is. Clarice Starling, played by Jolie Foster, is hunting down uh, a, a serial killer called Buffalo Bill. And she recruits the assistance of an even worse serial killer called Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. So she has this series of encounters, a series of interviews with Hannibal Lecter to try and, you know, work out what's going on. 
And in one of the later interviews she has with Hannibal Lecter, right, as she's kind of gotten his confidence or he's gotten her confidence. Dr. Lecter. He, it is, there's a scene, Kevin, and it really was, it was an, uh, a fascinating one. Lecter starts, is, he's got his back to camera. It's all dark. You know, that creepy cell he's in with the little drilled yeah. holes, air holes in the glass, like, you know, and he's uh-huh. got his back to camera and he starts talking about the history of Buffalo Bill as a child. I'm Clarice. Next time you will tell me why you ran away, won't you? Now listen carefully, because I will not repeat this. You're trying to obtain a list of males rejected by all three gender centers. Check first the ones rejected for having lied about criminal records. Look for severe childhood disturbances associated with violence. How Billy wasn't born a killer, Clarice. Oh no, he was made one through years of systematic abuse. Go to the personality tests. Study their drawings. Billy's houses will be very small, with tiny windows, no flowers, no pets, no toys, no sun. And his females will be even more crudely sketched than his males. But he will compensate with exaggerated adornments, jewellery, big breasts, and then his trees. Oh yes, Clarice. His trees will be frightful. And yeah. Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter, turns around to camera and he's looking straight at us down the lens, which is a device they employ so brilliantly in that film of characters looking straight down the lens to a nervous. But when he's talking about this abused child, the light kind of, the, 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 a light illuminates on his face and we see something in Hannibal Lecter's eyes that we have certainly did not see in the theatrical cut and there were tears. And Lecter was actually welling up talking about this child this abused child and in actual fact it made me question I was like going shit is he talking about himself right here he's talking about okay I know he's talking about Buffalo Bill but you know he's pulling on something from his own past and that was it was very uh, it was a scene that I'm sure they debated about cutting and um, yeah because I an think that if he's getting emotional that almost um, flies in the face of him being a psychopath so it's probably, um, it's probably like, uh, although some of the uh, psychology of that film is a bit iffy, but um, it's, it's just, an amazing it's movie just a su- it's the suggestion of tears. It's the suggestion of, but like it's it's almost incongruous to what he's saying. And again, it's I think it's tastily done, and um, it was a cracker of a deleted scene. It was on its own. I was like, fuck it, this is. Yeah, I love that film, you know, from the bottom of my heart. I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, the filmmaking when when you mentioned that, no, it, what I'm reminded of is um, uh, there was a meme going around where uh, it was a viral tweet going around where uh, someone said that they love the, the sort of direct-to-camera looks in uh, Jonathan Demi's Silence of the Lambs. And it had, like, you yeah. know, Jodie Foster looking direct on the camera. It had the... Um, the prison warden guy looking direct to camera had Hannibal Lecter looking direct to camera and then it had the dog, the little poochy dog at the end right. looking direct right. to camera as well as he's looking into the, like, right. the, the pit. And it yeah. made me laugh. Uh. <laughs> well, I, I thought in that, in that film, it was always a very clever device because they, they, they very clearly... Uh, John and Demi and the, the rest of the filmmakers decided to try and put us in Jodie Foster's in a, in a female detective's shoes and 
when even when in the in the in a very early scene when she's in her her kind of her in the FBI headquarters and her mentor her ally and mentor is talking to her he's talking directly down the camera which kind of is a no go in filmmaking terms you kind of you traditionally you you're not supposed to it's kind of crossing the line effectively like you know it's very documentary stuff uh, isn't it and what it does it makes us feel like they are talking to us we are we embody Jodie Foster's shoes. So when someone's looking straight down the camera at you, it actually is one. It's more engaging, but it's also a little bit intimidating because it, someone's looking at you rather than us. In an, if you were looking at someone at, in a traditional way, a film would be shot. You're looking at someone who's looking off camera, let's say, to another character. But when they're looking down the lens, they're looking at you. It's such a power move, though, to look directly into somebody's eyes when you speak to them, like to to mm-hmm. to not like you know. You look around the room or whatever, but to look directly into their eyes, it weirds some people out. They get very uncomfortable. But uh, yeah, that's why we don't have videos on here because you just stare at me for the entire hour <laughs> that we're doing this, and I just keep looking away awkwardly. Kevin, stop! Stop looking at me! Stop staring at me, Kevin! You're just trying to intimidate me. I am not going to make another joke about being naked while I do the podcast. I don't know why I keep <laughs> bringing that up. It's, it was funny once, pretty- and I keep. I'm like, oh, it'd be really funny if it's inappropriate that I'm naked while doing this. Like, move on, get new material. There's, um, oh, I kind of, there's another one I really liked from from the year 2000, actually. And it was from a film I also really, really enjoyed. Good year, and it's High Fidelity. My store is called Championship Final. I can't fire them. I hired these guys for three days a week and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. Directed by, was it Stephen uh, yes, Frears? Frears? Yeah, it was Stephen Frears. And it's adapted from Nick Hornby's book, you know, and um, it's really about... Really if you A great rom-com. Great film. And it's just a great uh, nerd, and uh, you know, a nerd f- f- film as well about, you know, music nerds. A dude's nerds. rock movie. Um, dude's rock movie. Oh, that's great. It kind of <laughs> launched... It kind of launched Jack Black, didn't it? It really did, you know, elevate him um, in a no, big way. No, because um, he'd been in, he'd been in, I still know what he did last summer. And, you know, that was a... Oh, that was just a career. <laughs> he put him into the stratosphere. And he was also in Mars Attacks, by the way. He was in Mars Attacks for sure. I know that. Um, but for anyone who hasn't seen High Fidelity, it's um, it's a comedy and it's about a record store. Play, uh, John Cusack plays the record store owner and he gets dumped by his girlfriend because he basically is just, uh, you know, he's set in his ways. And he's goes, he's, he's going back. He go, yeah, he certainly is. Yeah. And he's just, a, he's, a, he's a music snob. And he he kind of, the whole film is about him going over his previous breakups to try and figure out, like, you know, what he needs to do to win back his, you know, his girlfriend. And and he's got this, in his record shop, he's got um, two assistants, one played by Jack Black and the other by, oh God, what's the other guy? It's like Todd, I think it's Todd Lucy or something like that. Um, but anyway, there's a great scene in this in which, uh, John Cusack gets a random phone call uh, from Fred's seller of some rare uh, records, and he goes to the house anyway. And he opens the door of this kind of a, a nice house, and there standing in the doorway is Beverly D'Angelo. And we know Beverly D'Angelo from the National Poons movies. Uh, he plays, mm-hmm. she plays um, Dark Crystal's wife. 
and she goes in and she's shows she literally she shows him to a wall full of records right you know and he's just going okay okay and she goes walks straight over and at the bottom she pulls out this kind of like secret drawer and it's got all these singles you know and John Cusack goes over and it's like Indiana Jones in the <laughs> the opening scene of Les Rez Lost Ark and he's like seeing It's the best collection I've ever seen. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I could only afford to buy just a few of these. Give me 50 bucks and they're all yours. Yeah, right. These are worth at least... I, I know, know what 15, they're worth. 20. Give me 50 and get them out of here. Uh, she, her husband has left has left her for a nineteen year old, and she's in Jamaica. And um, he's asked her to sell off this, sell off his collection. Like, but basically, it's worth this collection is probably worth you know in the tens of thousands. And she's going to sell it for fifty dollars. <laughs> and um, but what happens is happening is John Cusack is like going, I can't take this. He's he's a music lover. He's a fellow music lover. I can't touch this. I can't do this. And basically, she, the two of them start haggling. Let's compromise. What about? Fifteen hundred. They're worth at least ten times that. Sixty bucks. Thirteen hundred. Seventy-five. Eleven hundred. That's my lowest offer. And I won't take a penny over ninety. <laughs> I've not seen that scene. That's a fun little scene. Like, and again, I can see why it's cut because it doesn't really. It doesn't really move the central story forward, but you know it's kind of a, it's a side subplot about an estranged wife and uh, an embittered person. Obviously, John Cusack's going through in a, a breakup, and um, but he doesn't want. Uh, she's using she's breaking up with a, 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 a music lover just like him, and using his music as a way. To, like it's effectively the trying to close out the you know out the the first floor window into the lawn below, but she wants to burn the thing he holds most precious. You guys are snobs. No, we're not. No, seriously, you're totally elitist. You feel like the unappreciated scholars, so you shit on the people who know less than you. No, no which is everybody. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, Kevin, getting rid of it. So I'm going to James Cameron, of course, right? And James Cameron is the guy who's produced the best deleted scenes of all the deleted scenes I've, I've I've found even from going far back as Dan going we're already talking, already talking about Dan Dan mentions that amazing deleted scene that was in Terminator 2 when uh, yes they, they, uh, they are performing at they're performing surgery on Alan Schwarzenegger's Terminator character in which they can change his chip, change a part of his processor from read to, to write. And it is an amazing scene and I don't really have to go into it in too much detail, but it's significant because it changes so much of what happens in the fra- in not only in that film, but in the rest of the franchise because all of a sudden, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator character can now learn and that is the reason why throughout the rest of that film that he seems to show more and more empathy and behave unusually. It's because there's a scene where they actually altered the the, the function and the, how he's how his processor works. I and, know now um, why you cry. Yeah. It just it was and it's it's such an impressive scene. It's a really good scene and um and I, obviously they cut it just for time. You know, they cut it because just, you know, just to keep the well, story moving it's been, and whatnot. It's been in the director cut, so now people sort of... 
who didn't who weren't around to see it in the cinemas they're only used to it mm. as being always in the film because it's it's you know f- people now watch director's cuts more than they'll watch like theatrical cuts of, of uh old movies so i think for a lot of people that just feels like that scene's in the movie it's always been in the movie but it wasn't it was a deleted scene yeah the cpu is a neural net processor a learning computer but Skynet presets the switch to read only when we are sent out alone. Doesn't want you to do too much thinking, huh? No. Can we reset the switch? Um, he even has... We can go to 1989's The Abyss. The Abyss has got uh, a significantly different cut. It's particularly a significantly different ending. Um, yeah. And I've always been a huge fan of The Abyss, but it was apparently a nightmare to shoot and a nightmare to make. It went over budget. And people almost died left, right and centre. And um, they, what's significant about that is that they You only get a half a huge the film without those mad. deleted scenes. Oh, it's mad. It, the, it, there's well, a lot of little story. scenes in that. Half, and there's a lot of little scenes that are uh, add character depth and adds their little um, uh, scenes where you see development of characters, relationships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And because that film is essentially a, a story about, uh, you know, a strange couple. Um, but there's this weird, strange, uh, you know, thing down the end of this, at the bottom of this trench where they're drilling. But like at the end of that movie, at the end of that film, in the, the director's cut, there's this huge epic uh, moment where the aliens actually hold the entire the entire human up. civilization, yeah. With these hundred foot, they produce these hundred foot uh, tidal waves, or maybe thousand foot. I don't know how they're huge tidal waves over every major city, and the tidal waves are just standing there, waiting to crash down on the you know millions of people to destroy these people. The horizon has already grown dark. People are running everywhere. It's it's sheer panic. Stay on me! Uh, the wave, the wave is, uh, I don't know, maybe a thousand feet high already. Getting bigger as I'm watching. Still miles out. Oh my god. Get out of no, here. stay! We're staying! Give it to me then! Uh, I don't even know if I'm still broadcasting. I can't be sure. I'll just keep going as long as I can. And they literally are holding humanity on the, you know, they've got a gun to our head. By the balls. And, um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's kind of raises, the, a lot of people don't like it. Now, I have to go, I have to really revisit and see how it sits for me now. But I remember when I watched it, I just went, when I first watched it, I thought, Jesus, that really, that really, you know, things got serious Changes. there for a moment. Yeah, yeah. The, the stakes really got high. You know, maybe it got too high almost. Um, but it really is impressive. And it was, uh, it's a big shift in that story, you know? Yeah. The ending of Terminator 1 has, um, uh, after Sarah Connor says, you're terminated, and she kills the T-800, uh, it, instead of it going straight to her um, in the Jeep at the gas station, getting her picture taken, which becomes the picture that Kyle Reese has when he goes back in time, um, before that, you have uh, Sarah getting um, transferred out of the, the factory floor into an ambulance. But while that's happening, we're seeing these two workers at the factory finding the chip uh, from the T-800. What's that? Microcomputer chassis. But I never saw stuff like that anywhere. Weird. Chap stuff, maybe. Get it down to R&D first thing Monday morning, huh? Good idea. 
and you know that that is basically setting up um, Cyberdyne. So uh, the yes. whole franchise is basically established in that deleted scene that um, yeah. is expanded upon in T2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talking about endings, the ending of T2. There was a, a deleted scene for the end of T2 <laughs> where uh, famously the opening scene of Terminator 2 is in a playground and um, Linda Hamilton's Sarah Connor is playing with her kid and uh, a nuclear uh, a nuclear explosion happens and wipes them all out and it's really horrific and terrifying. They all turn explode, they turn into skeletons and explode and all that sort of jazz. But in a deleted scene at the very end of that film, it's set in a playground, in that same playground, but the year is 2037. 30 With years Michael after Jackson is 1997. 40. Yes, she says Michael Jackson No, no, it's 1997. In the year. No, no, no. That scene is in 30, 30, 2037. She no, says she no, says no, no, in no. 19 Oh, go go back and check. Go back and check because John Connor in that scene is an old is an older man. Like oh, uh, he's, a he's senator. got his own children. Yeah. August 29th, 1997, came and went. Nothing much happened. Michael Jackson turned 40. There was no judgment day. People went to work as they always do. Laughed, complained, watched TV, made love. I wanted to run through the street yelling to grab them all and say, every day from this day on is a gift. Use it well. Instead, I got drunk. That was 30 years ago. But the dark future, which never came, still exists for me. And it always will, like the traces of a dream. Isn't it weird, though, because he did uh, a director's cut of that film and he restored that scene that that Dan mentioned and that we talked about with the, the processing chip being taken out of his head. But he's left that scene out so he still didn't think that that scene was worthy of going into the film. Um, and it's sort of good that he didn't put it back in because it would have, yeah. well, actually, maybe he should have put it back in because it would have stopped that franchise from continuing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. It would have said, everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, they would have just created alternative timelines no matter how many happy endings you stick in it. They would just go, in actual fact, you know, <laughs> no. In the background, there would be just lights. They got to you know, go back to the future and again. Yeah, here we go. All of a sudden, they would cross over with Back to the Future. <laughs> Doc Brown and Arnie's, Arnie's Terminator. Just, you're terminated, Doc Brown. Um, anyway. Oh, don't uh, give them ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but for my best of my best deleted I wonder scene, what it could be I have no idea this mm-hmm. is really shocking well oh, well, it's <laughs> Avatar right and it's the sex scene oh in Avatar that they God. cut where they where they think where they join tails and it's really oh, explicit and, <laughs> no it's not Avatar even though I do have an extended sex scene in, Ava- in Avatar no of course well, as I'm driving this James Cameron bus uh, into the into the golden temple of best bits, I of course have to come to one of my favourite films, and it's from uh, it's a sequel to a film that Kevin's already mentioned, and of course it's 1986's Aliens. Talk to me, Hudson! Uh, 
I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving in. It ain't us. Get me out of there. Wow, this is brand new information. Yeah, uh, who could have who who could have guessed? You know, when you mentioned this in the group chat and you said, uh, "How do people feel about the deleted scene to Aliens?" I just went straight in there going, "Like, I don't like the director's cut of Aliens." So <laughs> this is the first time <laughs> where I approve your choice to go with this uh, pick, but I feel that the director's cut of Aliens is inferior to the to the theatrical cut, but. Explain yourself, and, Will. Why do you love this director's cut and this these deleted scenes in particular? Oh, let me wax lyrical about me and my love affair with the, the director's cut of Aliens. I love it. I love it for all of the extended bits. I love it for the bits where we get to see more of Hadley's hope at the beginning. We get to see Newt's parents out and them encountering the... the um, the, the alien spaceship we saw in Alien and the dad getting the face hugger on his face. I love seeing Hadley's Hope before he got infested with aliens and you see kids going around in their big wheels like Danny in, mm. uh, in, um, in The Shining. I love, love, love the, the tension and suspense of the scene with the sentry guns in the corridors. It That's is a so good moment. I like that. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But my favourite uh, best, my favourite deleted scene that was has been reinstated in the director's cut. And I know it's a scene that you obviously don't like, but I do. And it's the scene early on in the first act after Ellen Ripley, played by uh, Sigourney Weaver, has woken up from... She's survived the events of the first film, obviously. And she's woken up. She's in this... Uh, she's basically in this... Uh, rescue pod or rescue shuttle that's just been launched out into space and she's just been traveling through space and has been randomly picked up 57 years later and she doesn't know she's been a hypersleep the entire time so when she wakes up it's just they gradually break the news to her that uh, you've been asleep for is it i think it's 57 years yeah it's 57 and the scene years. is the scene is where she's sitting down she's still in that kind of like safe space on this um, space station but it's the first time in the entire and the only scene in the entire alien franchise where we see trees and we see um nature you know mm. uh, that's not trying to kill her and uh you think oh she's she's in a park and then the camera kind of moves and you realize it's just a, it's an artificial projection on a wall and switches off and the scene that i love is a scene where um uh, burke who is a company man and is kind of really friendly, but as an actual fact, a real slime ball and smarty comes into Ellen Ripley I'm with an a okay file. Guy. And he's an, yeah, but he's a fucking jerk. And um, he basically is delivering information to her about her daughter. Amanda Ripley McLaren, married name, I guess, age 66. And that was at the time of her death, which was two years ago. I'm real sorry. Amy. Um, she was cremated and interred at Westlake Repository, Little Chute, Wisconsin. No children. I promised her. 
Should I be home for her birthday? Her 11th birthday? <laughs> and I think this scene is so important for this film. Um, well, Sigourney Weaver would agree with you. She was really disappointed that uh, this was cut. She based her entire performance on this scene. Um, and she was nominated for an Oscar for it. But yeah, she was. Um, she complained about it. When uh, the scene yeah, was cut, it's... she felt like, well, everything that I informed my character on was in this moment and it was taken out and she felt that her performance lost something because of that. But she's wrong. <laughs> no, I agree, with, I agree with her, Kevin. I, I agree with the fact that... Because I can relate to her, uh, what's going on with her. She's after coming out of hypersleep after 57 years and she has a family and her first Lockdown instinct has been very is, hard. But I feel I love it because, Jesus Christ, your inst- her instinct, of course, is to find out what her family, where her family is and what's happened to everyone at home. That's just gone. And in the original theatrical cut, that's never really addressed. It's just like, here you are, Ripley. Uh, go back out there, Ripley. And it's never addressed, right? And I feel that's that's a bit of that's a bit BSy. Like you know, so mm. she learns that her eleven-year-old daughter, uh, who was eleven when she left, is died a sixty-six-year-old woman, and she never got to see her. She never got to go back for her eleventh birthday or whatever it was, and it's devastating. Mm. Um, and that for me is so important for her motivation for the rest of that film, for her to go back. It's almost a suicide mission for her. You know, it's almost like. It's, you know, it's, it, she's got no order. She's got, what else has she got to live for? And there's, there, they coerce her and they push her. I know it's, she's got the, 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 she has the, the nightmares and it's, uh, it's the PTSD is coming back, you know, haunting her. But the fact that she's lost everyone and everything is so important for her motivation. And I just think it's a really well played scene between the two of them. Paul Reiser on one side and Scorny Weaver on the other. But you know what I think is that the movie works without that and you, it actually feels like somebody who's got nothing gains something by going back versus, in the director's cut, somebody who lost something replaces something by going back. And I, it's the replacement of her daughter that I find just a little bit, um, I think it's like a little too on the nose. And when you get to the moment where it's like, mommy, she says at the end, the fact that both of them have sort of just gotten over the fact that, oh, my mom's dead, so you're my mom, and my child's dead, so you're my daughter. I, I don't, it doesn't feel as beautiful to me as two sort of people who had nothing um, coming together rather than two people replacing something they've lost with each other. I just prefer it without, without her being a, uh, a grieving mother and rather just somebody who's a, uh, got nothing else in her life now it's all gone so it just feels like a hat on a hat that's my thing i i sorry yeah yeah and this is the first time you've ever disagreed on the podcast no but it's okay to be wrong it's absolutely (laughs) fine and i'm used to it you're totally well no this is and and it's this complete look at you know and that's what's great about this is everyone can have their own reading on it and um, well, you've but like James I think Cameron we're, we're or Sigourney Weaver in your uh, camp, so yeah, you've got me beat. <laughs> yeah, but like I, I don't think I think it's a film that we both really, really appreciate. It's one of my favorite films. I absolutely adore this film, and um, it is you know in my top four favorite films uh, of all time. 
I I love it. I love the tightness of it. I love the the, the even energy. with those and again, extended scenes though, because it's like it adds about twenty five minutes onto it, and I really feel none. those twenty five minutes. I'm the opposite. But, I don't feel it at all. I'm I'm. It's like for me, it's like uh, no. I don't. I don't feel the weight of those scenes. I'm always invested. I'm always engaged in every scene. What did Cameron uh, he I, called it? It was like twenty twenty more miles of bad road. Or something yeah, like that. 20 that miles was, of bad road. That's yeah. exactly what it's this film is 20 miles of bad road. And I I think, you know, for me, um, you know, it's another like I say, okay, I'm not a horror guy, but Jesus, I love like, you know, there's I have some horror films that I absolutely would you Aliens is a horror film. It's an action horror film, isn't it? Um action horror, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. It depends on what your your um, action. your threshold is. I it, I find the first one a lot scarier. Um but I, I find it m- more adrenalizing. I saw Aliens in the cinema and, uh, well, I saw the two of them. I saw Alien and Aliens in the cinema and sort of, um, uh, what did they call it? Like a repertory screening where they, they bring out old classics and you can go along and watch them. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's a big jump in the visual quality between Aliens and, and Alien. Uh, but Aliens is such a fucking kick-ass action film that... You can't you can't deny the fact that it's such a, a fun movie. Aside from anything else, it's it's so um like I mean I put it in best uh, girl fights in uh mm-hmm. in the fight scenes episode because you know even though it is a puppet and a puppet fighting each other that that mm-hmm. is such a kick ass action film. So I love Aliens as well, mm-hmm. but yeah. There's one other, um, there's a deleted scene I found that's a really rare deleted scene, actually. And it's not in any cut. And it's a scene uh, right near the end when she's uh, basically strapped those two guns together, the flamethrower and uh, and the pulse rifle. And she's going for Newt and she's got, uh, she's kind of following the tracker, you know. Uh, and just as she's about to discover, the, just as she's about to discover the discarded watch that Newt was supposed to be wearing, she encounters Burke. Paul Reiser's slimy character who we earlier saw being taken by aliens but she encounters him as he's been cocooned in the wall That would have been a cool, creepy sequence. Yeah, it's really, it's it's it actually is really the performance is great. And what she does, she just she doesn't even she doesn't even share a word with him. All she does is she gives him a a hand grenade. It's not because it wasn't in any of the cuts. It's kind of I found it uh, on YouTube. Uh, It's now with the we found it recently. But I can see why it was cut. It's a very well performed. It works, and it's kind of like a an almost. It does make it does make Ripley seem a little too cold, though, doesn't it? Where you think, yes, he got everybody killed, but uh, yeah, mm, I, 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 I'm glad they cut that. His performance sells. His performance sells the fact that he 
is having the most gruesome death or he's he can when he says that word i can feel it inside me it, it's actually that's really kind of horrific but Yuck. i think why they removed it is because it literally just paused her it, it was so close to her finding the queen that it just was a a, a pit stop just before mm. we got to that you you know in the latter part of your film you really have to be tight you know you really have to you know, you, you don't have much time and you have to keep the momentum going forward as fast as you can. It's also almost beat for beat, the first film. Because, like, the first film, she's going back to rescue the cat. And in the second oh, yeah. one, she's going back to rescue the kid. And it plays out almost the same way. Except that rather than mm. her having uh, an encounter with the uh, with the alien and getting into a, um, a uh, what would you call it, an astronaut suit... Um, yeah, she has suit. yeah, yeah spacesuit. Jesus, you can tell it's late, and I'm tired. I can't even think of words. In the sequel, she gets into a mech suit and she faces off against the Queen. But um, Cameron sort of replicated the beats of Alien, but just took them up another level at every stage. So uh, he knew what? what worked, and he stuck with it. Is this an apocryphal story? When he went into pitch for the sequel to Alien, <laughs> yeah, he, he just wrote- went to. Uh, he wrote alien. He wrote alien, and S, and then just drew two lines uh, through the S to indicate dollar signs. It's just aliens. I'll tell That's you what. Though, I have never I been in a um, a studio office that had a chalkboard, so I don't. I think he might be yeah. sort of like he might be um, making that up, but maybe it was yeah, a fucking I'd whiteboard. Who knows? But that's a brilliant pick, yeah. and I am um, really pleased you picked that for another reason. Because we get to do an audio commentary on it. Yes. (laughs) I would say cynically, I could say, oh, maybe that was motivation. But no, I truly, I'm so glad I got to talk about this film. I'm so glad um, because it is one of my, Aliens is one of my favorite, favorite films. And uh, and I love it. And I'm so glad it's here. And I truly believe that those deleted scenes are amazing and make the film so much better. And that was my best deleted scene. (laughs) And... It's okay. It's okay, Kevin, to be it wrong, is. and um, it's uh, it's fine. I don't mind it one little bit. Um, we'll agree to disagree. Well, that's great. That's just fucking great, man. Now what the fuck are we supposed to do? We're some real pretty shit now, man. You finished. So that was my best. Deleted scene. Also, Apocalypse Now with the French week. Quarter sequence. That's really good as well. Watch that. I disagree with you there now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now you got to spin the wheel yeah. for me. Oh, God, Kevin. Right. Are you looking forward to this? Yes. Okay. Because right. I've listened to so, so many episodes back and it's always like when the wheel comes up and they say, and we say... <laughs> Third person ourselves. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I hate this. I don't want to do it. What are we doing? Uh, no. I thought we're being very <laughs> Why negative. Are you doing we, this to me? we don't <laughs> yeah. like we our love own this. format. Yeah, I cannot wait. <laughs> we love this. Hit me. Whatever it's it is, the, it, it I truly am is ready. Okay, spin Kevin, that I am fucking no wheel, up baby. The spinning wheel, and we are going to spin the shit out of this. Here we go and spin. It's going around in a circle. I'm looking at it here. It's quite heavy. It's big. It's bouncing around. It's spinning. It's spinning. It's spinning. And Kevin, your topic for next week is best monologue scene. Okay. I don't know what to what say to that. 
Well, you uh, should wax lyrical. <laughs> Jaws, the, uh, we've already done Jaws, so the Indianapolis speech cannot be used. Uh, best monologue scene, mm-hmm. best monologue scene. Um, uh, okay, there's Network. Well, oh, I'm going to have to think. I'm going to have network. to think. Okay, I'm actually... I'm, I'm mad as okay. hell anyway, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, listen, you know, I think uh, obviously you can go the route of Tarantino. Like, he likes to, you know. Okay, don't give it away. I, I, don't give it away. I'm not going to say anything, but, you know, I could say that one. Um, I'm sure there's stuff in Police Academy. I'm sure there's some good monologues in there. Holy shit, is there? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm trying, to, st- I'm just trying to steer films. the audience away. <laughs> I love to rewatch them. I used to love those back in the day. Um, I don't know how they hold up, but. Um, Oh my I would God, say poor my art for me. <laughs> oh God. Okay, so, so Kevin, where can people find you, Will? Scene. People can find me on Twitter under Willems Film. Uh, W-I-L-L-U-M-S-F-I-L-L-U-M. Kevin, where can people find you and our Twitter uh, feed? They can also find me on Twitter at Kevin Lee Han. Uh, K-E-V-I-N-L-E-H-A-N-E. And uh, <laughs> also Best Bits Pod. We're on there as well. Please follow us. Please give us five stars and we'll be back next week. See ya. Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye. The Best Bits Podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. Fuck up. <laughs> Talk to you, you stupid cuts. The best bits we can really have. And the other guy. The best bits we can really have. The other guy. You know his name. Ignorant as fuck with Kevin Lee Hand. Jesus. How are you, Will? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm grand. Did you like that theme tune? I love that theme tune. It might have been my favourite so far. Uh, (laughs) I think it was as well. Definitely, I'd say it's definitely your favourite. Hey, I was at one of the great Irish traditions. At the weekend, my niece's communion down at Cork. Cork. Go on. I can't wait. Well, I want to say this, right? Kevin just slips, limply. <laughs> I, said to my, I, I said to my daughter, uh, in school, on Monday mornings, they do news. What's your news, right? Nudes and bio. And my, my daughter said, she kept my picture up from school. And she said, um, I said, did you do your news today? And she says, yeah, but I didn't really get to say much of what I wanted to, to tell him. You know, so she wanted to tell him about the trip down to Cork, like, you know. And as as Is the, this just a ploy for the teacher to get all the gossip about the kids? Yeah, I think all the teachers do it. All the teachers get their children to do news on a Monday morning and they just get all the gossip. My mum and dad were reefing the head off each other on Saturday night <laughs> and on Sunday they went for dinner to make up. Oh, very good. <laughs> Carol, do you have any news? My dad crashed the car, kid. <laughs> Let me tell you, right? So Ellie said to me, she said, no, I didn't really get to say much, like, you know? And I went, oh, well, thank God, like, you know? But then as it turned out, it turned out she said everything. 
she was like going, oh, we talked about, you know, your, I, I, I said, well, thank God you didn't get to tell me about my, my shaving foam exploding in my, in my changing bag. She says, oh, I did get to tell him that. I was like, oh, right. Okay. Well, did you tell him about, you know, your, your cousin, you know, the girl who was getting her communion, breaking her leg the night before the communion? Oh yeah. I told her, told him that as well. I was like, okay, right. Did you tell him about, <laughs> did you tell him? So turns out, turns out that my, go on. <laughs> <laughs> at the last communion, at the last communion, right? They had a photographer. A, a photographer came over and took photographs. And right, listen, listen. I can see he wants to cut in, but let me just finish this, and I'll be, I'll get off it. We we'll start the timer. As we kind of got together for Time a photograph of me and my niece. Now hold on, with my niece, right? He drops the camera, right? He drops the camera, and he says to me, "Love the podcast." And I was, what? <laughs> he just another fella yeah. said that to you. Well, it was the same guy who said, remember I, t- I said two years ago. At he's my still other listening. Nieces. I don't know if he's Fucking still listening. Well, he said it to me two years ago. So he pr- he's probably not listening anymore. Are we on a delay? <laughs> I don't know. I think we might be because we're tripping over each other. Okay, let's let's uh, hang up and join again. How does that sound? It sounds fantastic. Welcome to the best bits Patreon. Give us money, 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 give us money. Hello, Will. How are you? Hi. It's great to get Hi. on mic for another mini bits. Yeah. Raw. 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 Does that seem better? That does seem better. Listen, oh, I've okay. seen a load of stuff. Let's start the timer. Okay, I saw Monkey Man, I saw Civil War, I saw Conor Brian Must Go. Sugar, mm-hmm. Fallout, Ripley, the Steve Martin documentary, tons of oh, stuff. L- yeah. la- Late Night with the Devil. I keep wanting to say Last Night with the Devil. Baby Reindeer, The Jinx has come back. So I want to talk about all of those with you. So that's what we're going to talk about. And yeah. for those who aren't on the Patreon, bye-bye. <laughs> look, tough look. 